I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We have a very special guest host joining the show today, journalist, podcaster, promoter, performer, actor, and all-round superstar and self-confessed Mid-South fan, Poyo Del Mar is here. How are you doing today? I am having a great day. It's a good day whenever I get to talk about pro wrestling. So thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. No, thank you very much for your for your, for your time. Now, let's go right back to the start. Take me back to the, the start of your wrestling watching. What are some of your earliest uh, earliest memories? The very first uh, pro wrestling match I ever watched, I think, or the first one at least I remember watching, was Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, most people know him from his days with the WWF or WWE, but I actually was, he was the first match I ever watched. He was taking on Austin Idol and it was oh, yes. in one of their classic feuds um, in the very, very early eighties. And I just remember falling in love with the the showmanship of the whole thing and the drama, all of that. And so it, I was hooked right away. And I think as that kind of expresses, like my introduction to professional wrestling wasn't through WWF or WWE. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that sets me aside from so many people that I know that love pro wrestling because yes. they sort of cut their teeth on WWF. So would that have been, I guess that was Memphis then. Did, did you get that on, on TV where you were? Um, so I don't think that it, it was not the Memphis territory. I think that it was for um, a territory that was based out of Indiana called the World Wrestling Association, WWA. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And so they took that feud actually, which started in, in Memphis and they took it all over. Mm. So it sort of traveled everywhere with them. And, and I think that that to the best of my knowledge was where I must've seen it was on WWA because that was something that came on uh, in my hometown area. And we watched it on just a regular old cable, you know, cable less mm. TV network, just on broadcast television. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. So obviously the local affiliate had the syndication yes. or whatever it was. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. I think this, that um, I often wonder and think about like where if I could be picked out of 2021 as it is now and put in a place in terms of weekly watching wrestling, that early 80s period where cable TV became a thing and you were getting everything from everywhere must have been just just incredible. So do you remember when you first sort of stumbled across Mid-South? Was that a little bit a little bit later than that? It was it was just a couple of years later, not even mm. probably maybe literally just a year or two later, because when I came of age watching professional wrestling, it was before there was the, you know, the Superstation TBS. It was yeah. before there was a WWF as we knew it in the early 80s. So I was watching territory wrestling initially. That was what my big thing was. Um, the, I loved the WWA at that time. My grandparents lived in Ohio and, and I was introduced by my grandfather watching that local affiliate WWA. And I remember seeing a lot of people there who would later become superstars elsewhere. Like I remember mm. seeing Scott Rex Steiner debut and he was oh, a, yeah, big, yeah. a big thing. And then later on, obviously for the listeners, he became Scott Steiner. And, and then I was uh, living in Houston area and that's where we had on Saturday nights, we had our local affiliate that broadcast the Mid-South wrestling. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you know, you know so on, on YouTube and also on the WWE Network versions, all the dates are wrong. So I think the YouTube version's got this airing on a Thursday. WWE Network's a Sunday, but it was Saturdays, wasn't it? I, I, I mean, everyone I've spoken to that watched, watched this at the time, it was Saturday. So I, I know, I think for a short time, they, they aired their show on the Superstation, the repeat of the one that we all watched. But that, I believe that was Sundays, but the, the regular one was Saturdays. So do you remember, who, who were some of your some of your favourites as a kid, some of the sort of wrestlers that, that jumped out to you? 
from specific promotions or from uh, just in general? Anywhere, in general, yeah, in general. Yeah, so my favorite kid wrestling uh, personality as a child was hands down Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, really? Before. How interesting. It was pre, it was pre uh, WWF era. Yep. And I actually, he's in the episode that, you know, that yes. we're watching. Yeah. And one of the things that I always remember, I remember as a kid, thinking that he would um he was wrestling in these like um burgundy type of i thought they were like karate pants they just look like basically you know <laughs> i've written pajama scrubs. pants in my in yeah, my they, notes it, yeah um i i remember at the time thinking you know being very impressed by him overall mm. but when i was watching this in retrospect i was like you know like that look is not you know not the bomb but <laughs> he he was definitely he became my favorite because of a an infamous angle that happened in mid south m- much later than what we're seeing mm, here okay so yeah, yeah. interesting i mean it's, it's 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 interesting with jake isn't it because i i've he's sort of just recently come back i know he was in mid south before and now i think this is his big run before you know everything changes and he goes off the world wrestling federation but i watched the other day for a separate podcast um tuesday night in texas with him and randy savage and I, I, I don't really know what happened after that because he left the WF sh- shortly after. And they were really sort of pushing him hard as the top heel. But his his promos and, and it, in this episode as well, just the look he gives the camera off, spoiler alert, after the DDT victory, you'll be surprised to hear. But he, um, it's just his facials are phenomenal, isn't he? So I can see why he, and I guess, was was he more of a heel around the time that you were like, or was it, or were you kind of a heel fan or was he, would he, had he gone back? Well, first part? of all, I am a heel fan. But yeah. when he was, when I kind of fell in love with him as a personality, it was an infamous angle where, and he was pursuing um, Dirty Dick Slater, mm. who had a valet at the time, whose name was Dark Journey. Uh, she is the first, she's iconic in a way, even though she's forgotten because she was the first African-American valet. Mm. And it, in this, in the deep South, it was specifically what they would consider a, a heat magnet because it was an African-American woman with a white man sure. and he yep. was carrying around uh, people re- may remember him from later days in the WWF, and then he eventually went back to WCW, which is or, or NWA, which is where he got most of his, mm. his work done. But he and she had this big angle where they had taken the television title, and then they had the North American title, and and he was embroiled in a feud with them. And what the the moment that made me fall in love with him is she was very devious, obviously, and she had been spraying people in the eyes with various things. And at one point, they were cutting a promo in the ring and she sprayed him in the eyes oh, and okay. Jake, Jake DDT'd her. And later on it, you know, it was the accusations were made against him. Like, how could you strike a woman? And he mm. claimed, I didn't know it was her, you know, I was blinded, you know, how okay. could I possibly known? And it was the first beginnings of what I considered like this kind of a tweener, somebody yeah, who was yeah, yeah. obviously was considered the fan favorite, um, but had done something pretty vile. Yes. And, I I really thought that that was very very intriguing, and you know I've always been a fan of the ex, uh, extraneous women in professional wrestling, yep. and at that yep. time they were super extraneous. But you know, and the mid south area was rife with people like that. Yeah. I also want to throw in that like at the same time I was getting mid south on television, I was also getting um, world class on on my television. I was also getting you know just any number of other localized professional wrestling companies on my television which was just such a really good time to watch i mean that, that must have been just phenomenal so i think there was was there a block of four hours or something on saturdays back maybe maybe longer than that perhaps 
I, re- I remember the Mid-South show being two hours and mm. it was on very late at night. It was like, I want to say it's like 10 o'clock to midnight on okay. Saturday. Yeah. And my, um, one of my, my best friend in middle school and I, this was like a, a few years later, even he and I would stay up every Saturday night mm. together and like, and watch it. And then, you know, play board games and stuff. But there was, there was that, there was, um, we, we also had, um, like I said, world-class. And then there was, I don't know if we saw them on TV. I feel like we did, but um, there was a variety of small promotions that ran around yeah. us, you know, and I was very fortunate. My dad always allowed, you know, like not only encouraged, but took me to all those things. So. Oh, that's great. So yeah, that's my next question. Lucky. Do you remember your first live show? Um, I, it's hard to remember my first big live show. Um, the first live show that comes to mind that was really large scale was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was, uh, it was a WWE show, mm. but this was many years later. Um, and it was clearly not my first ever live event, yeah, but yeah. it was the first bigger one. They were doing a television taping for, I want to say a, a Saturday night main event. It oh, was, wow. Uh, what year, Jim, Fort Wayne, Indiana, that, it wasn't Andre and Hulk Hogan, was it, Bonnie? It, it was not. It no, was okay. the infamous, it was the pretty infamous show where um, the rockers, won the tag team titles the from the Hart Foundation yes. only to have it reversed a few days later. As soon as you said and Fort Wayne, Indiana, I thought there's a really famous something that happened to that one. So yeah, that must have yeah. been, because I, I watched that fairly recently, actually. It was, uh, it did, I guess in the crowd, people did, almost like people didn't know what was going on because of the rope thing. And it almost like sucked the life out of the crowd a little bit. And I guess what we saw or what eventually you saw, you know, decades later was probably, you know, cut to, cut to shreds in terms of an editing room versus your sort of live experience there that night. I remember being really confused, you know, yeah. like we didn't know if it was supposed to happen, if it wasn't supposed to happen uh, for the, for the fans who are listening and who may not be familiar with this incident, there was a, a fairly famous event that took place at a taping for a Saturday night main event for WWF, where the Hart foundation defended their tag team titles against the rockers. It was a two out of three fall match during the second fall, the second rope, the middle rope came loose Um Ultimately, the Rockers won that two out of three fall event, were declared the new tag team champions and actually went on to defend their titles yeah. against Power and Glory. I remember at a reading it in events. Sorry, I remember reading it in a wrestling magazine here in the UK because this was 1990, wasn't it? 1990, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and I I didn't. So we, we get Inside Wrestling and some, some of those sort of uh, magazines here, but they've been yeah, way I, out I of date. With all of them. Yeah, so I, I, they will be way out, like probably, I guess they'll be six to eight weeks out of date. And I'm like, the Rockers, and they had a page where the champions were in. Rockers attacked it. And I'm like, I, I, but then they're, they're not, it's not turned out on superstars. And for years, I didn't know what, what that was all about. But yeah, that's a, that's a crazy match. Yes, yeah, so that's the first sort of big, big W. What, what a historical event. Yeah. That was my first big WWF event. Um, and I also remember that the ultimate warrior um, basically squashed Randy Savage in a title Mm. defense during that show and a few other things of interest because it was for a a television taping, but I had been going to smaller events for years before that. Um, You know, one of the things that I would say is that, you know, I think that we were in Houston. So we had a lot of, I mean, I went to UWF or in, in mid, Mid-South shows, but a lot of the Texas wrestling scene was held at like, you know, bars. And this was yeah. very much in the time of territories and there were bars or, uh, you know, even before I went to that thing with the, the WWF, I had been to see countless, I, by then I was living in Florida and I'd seen countless 
shows in Florida yeah. where it was Dusty Rhodes promoting in at flea markets, yeah, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or the highlight fronton. And which was, uh, if you don't know what a highlight is, it's fine. Cause I went to those frontons and I barely understood what it was either. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was, I'd seen tons of shows by then, but that was the first one that was really large. Yeah. Yeah. Know? That's great. So it sounds like you had a real, because that's the thing here. I, I remember seeing some British wrestling at a holiday camp because that used to be the big thing here. Like we'd have these pretty awful holiday camps that you'd be dragged along by your parents with and there was wrestling there. But I don't, but we didn't have a lot. British wrestling was kind I just about remember it on television here, but it was kind of dying out before, um, you know, I was old enough to get, you know, go and see a show or whatever. And then the WF was here on satellite television. But so, so who, who were some of the kind of feuds and the other characters that really stood out for you in your sort of formative years watching this sport? Yeah, I, of, of course, if I am to focus exclusively on Mid-South, like that was an era where we had Ted DiBiase and mm. we had, you know, Jim Duggan and we had Dr. Dusty C. Williams. Um, the, those were all some of the big name individuals that we had and, and but and junkyard dog if i meant, didn't mention him he they were they were very popular for whatever reason i've always been very drawn to tag team wrestling and okay, that was a, yep. an extremely good place we you know we had the the fantastics versus the sheep herders for what seemed like years yeah. and that was bloody and um infamous and we had a lot of we had the freebirds you know and yeah. the freebirds were quite the thing and that was throughout the entire state of texas and they came back and forth and and so and of course i was actually um you know i recall the debut of the blade runners which went on to become sting yeah. and Ultimate Warrior. i'm not quite there yet but yeah that's that's gonna be interesting when that happens yeah i've yeah. just up there i've got a um a, a, like a, a, a framed uh, wrestling card from Ponca City, Oklahoma. That's got the got that's got Blade Runner Rock on it versus Coco Beware out there. So when I started the Mid South podcast, I'm like, I have to get some Mid South memorabilia in this room. So there we go. I mean, that's the thing. You've seen a lot of people, uh, and, and and again, that's kind of why I started this in terms of I don't know anything about this this territory, but I've heard amazing things about it. And you were lucky enough to see a lot of these guys in like their really early stage careers. You go on to be sort of mega stars like Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, yeah. That must have been must have been quite something. So as you as you sort of grew up and carried on watching watching wrestling, was there ever a time that you you kind of went away from it? Did you did you have a, a bit of a breakup? Because I did a bit of a breakup. Oh, wrestling. Did you fall out? Like, do you stay stay the course the whole time? No, there was there has never been a time. Um, <laughs> you know, other than the fact that there um, were a few years in my personal life where I. Um, I kind of, I personally kind of lost my way, you know, mm. I lost my way and I wasn't interested in anything for a while that was in, had been interesting to me before, but um, there has really never been a time in my life when I fell out of love with professional Okay, wrestling. that's good. Mine was mid-90s WWF, but luckily soon after WCW started airing here, so I got the NWO stuff and that kind of got me back into it. Um, so I'm really interested in, obviously, you've you've had a super impressive career outside of the world of wrestling, but I'm really interested in how you ended up covering the sport of having to play. So how did that, what, what how did that all come about? Because I've seen, you know, I've seen you interviewing some really big names, all this sort of stuff. So it's, it's like, how, you know, how did that, how did that opportunity come about? So, you know, coming out of that situation where I sort of like glossed over, like where I had sort of lost my way and I'd lost mm. my passion for so many different things. When I was coming out of that, I was really asking myself, what is it that you love? What is it you love? And what is it that you um, have done well and done successfully? And, you know, from 
when many kids, for example, were having jobs at fast food restaurants uh, as teenagers, I was working uh, as a sports stringer for a New York Times affiliate newspaper. Oh, wow. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, when other kids, and I did have a job, by the way, for a few months as a, like a cook at a fast food restaurant. But when other kids were doing things that were more traditional, I was working as a morning show DJ on a, an AM radio station in my so hometown. Cool, yeah. and, then, and then I left and I went away to go to college. And um, while I was in college, I watched a public access TV show where they aired localized professional wrestling in Cleveland. And then I got involved with that where I became an on-air personality as well as a, an on-air vocal personality where I was one of the, ultimately one of the kind of color commentators for that show. And so I'd always been in love with that and I'd always been involved in journalism as well. I was, mm. you know, I pursued that for many years and had, by the time I was in my early thirties, I had a significant number of bylines for that. But when I picked up with the Huffington Post, I was brought on because I was doing celebrity interviews. So I was yeah. doing things like, you know, interviewing Kelly Clarkson or Lady Gaga or Katy Perry or all of those types of pop personalities. And then I, um, as, a, as a gay man and as a member of the LGBTQ community, I was really focusing a lot on artists and people of interest to that community, the community of which I've been part of for so many years. And, and then on one day, um, it came across my desk, this interview opportunity for, um, to speak with Steve Austin. And, oh, wow. Quite and so we, I guess if you're going to start into professional wrestling, you just <laughs> kind of like start with so Steve Austin. Here's a question, quick question for you before you carry on. Were you mm -hmm. more nervous interviewing Steve Austin or some of the, you know, Steve was a big star, but obviously the names that you mentioned, are, you know, Kelly Clarkson, Lady Gaga, they're big, they're different stratosphere stars. Were you more nervous with the wrestling personality than you were the, the others? Absolutely. And yeah. the reason was very specific because, uh, and I actually wrote about this. It's in, it's in an article um, on the Huffington Post to oh, this great. day, okay, yeah. which, which sort of um, really jump-started my involvement in professional wrestling by putting that, that interview led to an article, which led to a lot of other things. It's kind of that domino effect that happens mm. sometimes in life. And um, when I entered that interview with Steve Austin, I was nervous not just because he was Steve Austin. Like I, I don't often get kind of that element of stage fright or uh, starstruck because I have been very fortunate in my career to work with a lot of big names. Mm. But the thing that really uh, made me question myself in that is the perception that he would see me not as a wrestling fan, not as a journalist, but he would see me as a gay man. Sure. And yeah. that my, my sexual identity would undermine my credibility as a professional in the industry, which I had worked for many years, which is mm. a journalist. And so when I went into that um, interview, I was very nervous and we were talking, I, to be honest, I don't even remember what we were specifically supposed to be talking about. It might've might been a movie project to yeah. be part of, yeah. it might've been any number of things, but um, very shortly in that interview, as it's described in the article that came from it later on was that I, he asked me a couple of questions. And I think that for him, they were, the barometer of seeing whether I was a wrestling fan or a WWF fan, okay, or, you know, yeah. because, because I, as a person also distinguish between people like, are you a wrestling fan or are you yeah. a WWE fan? Yeah. Are you a pro wrestling fan or are you an AEW fan? Because like a lot of the divide that we see today is like, well, if you're actually a wrestling fan you would want this to succeed everywhere, if you're actually a wrestling fan, 
you would Hallelujah. be able to enjoy of elements of would. all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. But if you are a fan of a specific product, for example, like, are you a, a fan of rap music or are you a Cardi B fan? Yeah. Or are you a Nicki Minaj fan? Or can you just enjoy the genre yeah. and then let both of them be what they are? Anyway, so I went into this, this interview with him and we were talking and he asked me a couple of those quick gauging questions. And I, at some point I just said, well, actually I've been following your career since you were, you know, with Lady Blossom yeah. and WCW. And, and I, I started, you know, mentioning some, some key components that were long before even he had made it big, if you will, mm -hmm. in WCW. And I remember him saying like, well, by God, you really are a goddamn wrestling fan. <laughs> and, um, and when he said that my mood completely changed because yeah, yeah. Um, the fact, as I, I explained it, like if I can get a hell yeah from Steve Austin, uh, then what anybody else thinks is kind of inconsequential. To yeah. 100%. So that, not only kind of cemented my own comfort in pursuing something that I loved and opened up an entirely new channel of writing for me because I'm still doing the, the Lady Gaga stuff or the mm. whoever, you know, the next big pop star thing. But I was also the only person covering professional wrestling in any capacity on the Huffington Post for a good number of years. Yeah, And it, it snowballed because once you get those kind of credentialing, once you've talked to certain types of people, mm then doors and they've had a good open. experience and then yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah hundred yeah absolutely who, who was the per who's the person you've interviewed in fact this can be wrestling non non-wrestling um i'm not going to ask who was the worst person you interviewed or that. So don't, don't worry about that what who was the person you interviewed that was the the they were in some way very different to how you imagined they would be and that can be a positive thing in terms of either wrestling or, or you know or pop culture stuff i'm, I'm really interested in that as well because i always think you always you i, I think People have a with every everything you know. You might it might be someone you've worked with and you've seen them on a you know a work video or something. But you, everyone has a kind of conception of someone, don't they? So what what was what's what can you think of one that's like that? I you know I was I was expecting you to ask the the most intimidating the most intimidating person I've ever worked. Oh, with. Oh, answer that as well, please. Yeah, uh, because that's the first thing that I thought that's where you're going. That's the first yeah. person my mind went to. The most intimidating interview I ever did was with Spike Lee. And, oh, really? Uh, okay, yeah. And it's because Spike Lee takes himself very seriously and Spike mm. Lee takes his work very seriously. And I think with good reason, because I, mm. I really perceived that he considers himself not the voice, but one of the, the one of the voices of a, a segment of our American society specifically that is underrepresented and, you know, has not gotten a fair shake. So I think that whenever I was, when I was speaking with him, everything that I, if I wasn't spot on in inciting something that was in mm. his book or something that he said, he would correct me. And that became very nerve wracking because yeah. it puts you like on eggshells. Because you're one, you're um, worrying about the next thing, the next question. And, you know, yeah, I yes. can only imagine how difficult that must have been. Um, in terms of, the, you know, the professional wrestling people that I have talked to have predominantly all been extremely, extremely fun, extremely right. cool people. Um, and overwhelmingly so like the the number of people who have not i you know i can't even think of people i think that one of the people that comes to mind is being um, a little different than i would have expected probably was when i i interviewed tyrus the first time Ty, you know tyrus from formerly of wwe and then he he went on to impact wrestling and in mm. other locations but he you know he 
I think that he's much more lines up with the personality that you see as like, you know, with the Funkadactyls, the playful, whatever. Yeah. Than yeah. What, what we had seen is this like big brooding character. He he's very funny. He's very personable. Um, and then, you know, there, there have been just a variety of other people where I was. I wouldn't say that they were different than what I would have expected, but I was surprised by the depth of connection that we were able to oh, form. That's in really a short lovely. Of time. Yeah. That's really, really lovely. Cause I've seen the names in wrestling sort of, so there's, there's plenty of people that I'd miss here, but Thunder Roses and, and Charlotte Flares and all this. And I was just like, crikey, I, I did Ricky. I, I, I should, I should rephrase that. I interviewed Ricky Morton once and I was really, really nervous for that. So that's the kind of the first sort of in with an actual wrestler. And actually, not only was I nervous, but it was it was an unseasonably hot day in the UK, and I was probably I'm trying to think of this in um, in Fahrenheit, probably 85 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that, which is pretty hot for us. Um, and then at the end, my Zoom call froze as well. That's the only time in all the time I've done, done this over a year. The only time I had a technical difficulty, but I managed to retrieve it, which for thank thankfully. So yeah, that was that was all good. So um, now, obviously, you're you're in, in the podcast world as well you're, you're yourself now. Um, tell me about how you sort of got involved in that side of things and what your you know what your aims and stuff and plans for the podcast going forward are. Well, you know. I have, I guess that it would start my interest in that kind of like goes back to the fact that I said I was a Sunday morning a radio DJ mm. when I was in, in, in high school. And then I went on and I got a degree in broadcasting and uh, I have had professional radio shows in the past. And then a few years back, probably five years ago, I actually did a pop culture podcast for three years and it was mm. very well received. And we had unbelievably strong guests on that show like household names a lot of them and at actually at that time i would bring my friends and acquaintances from professional wrestling onto that show but it okay seemed great yeah like it, it seemed like less of a fit it seemed like a forced fit because i knew that the listeners that we had probably were not fans of wrestling mm. like i was and so i started to branch out into doing more of a pro wrestling related podcast and it and the unfortunate reality is that you know, I did it strong for a year uh, or about yeah, maybe six months and then I, it fell off and then I was doing it very strongly again. And I, you mentioned having technical difficulties with the Ricky Morton thing. Well, I got mm. an email this morning from uh, a guest that I had recorded a podcast with um, like, you know, maybe a month and a half before Christmas and right before uh, Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving break, I had spilled something on my computer and completely oh, fried my, my entire computer. Yeah. So I actually spent this morning trying to recapture from the iCloud, hopefully it's on the iCloud and I can find it, uh, that interview because it was so unbelievably good. And I really yeah. want to bring that to listeners. But well, fingers crossed you can retrieve that, hopefully. Yeah, yeah fingers yeah. crossed for sure. But I, I kind of evolved from the first podcast into the second podcast just because it allowed me to focus exclusively on pro wrestling mm. and gear the entire thing towards fans of professional wrestling and and bring my fans my friends um and acquaintances who are part of the professional wrestling world on just to talk about that the kind of yeah. conversation that you and i are having of that love for pro wrestling the you know our background in it things of that nature and of course they are all of the guests have been fairly accomplished either very accomplished in the moment or are on their way to becoming very accomplished yeah people in that industry so yeah, that's, that's how it started and it's where it's at now 
That's really great. I, I know I know we're going to jump about a little bit now, but I know, I know that you've um, been involved obviously in the commentary stuff. I'm really interested. How was that sitting down and commentating on record? Because I've done a few, it's not the same thing at all, but I've done a couple of watch along shows and I found mm-hmm. it quite It is difficult. the same thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, I found it quite difficult. I tell you what though, I, I don't know if you've ever been to WF Access at WrestleMania, but the very first time I ever tried it, they had a little booth we could go and commentate on something. So it was Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, not the memorable one, the second one, at the the No Way Out one. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I listened back to it, I was actually awful. And I, just, and I, I mean, that, this is how old it is, I'm dating myself, but you got it on a VHS tape to take, take away with you. So how was that experience doing commentary for the first time? Well, let me tell you, you're not dating yourself any worse than I will be because when I got my first opportunity and these were public access broadcasts, you know, this was a very localized professional wrestling organization. And it was, um, we, it was something where we would sit down in the producer, in the show producer's house, like Mm. basically the booker who, who put these events together. And we would, we had a menagerie of VHS tapes where we would take VH tapes from different shows and have to put them together to sort of mesh together this show. And then we'd put music videos in between. And then once it was done, we would talk over top of that. It was, it was a scenario. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And at the time, you know, I wish now that I could go back and listen to them Mm -hmm. because I, I remember them broadcasting at the time, but I would love to have the perspective of, 20 plus years of experience. experience yeah yeah but it was it was a very fun time because we were not able to actually we we booked very sporadic shows we didn't have anything on a regular basis so we would have to take bits and pieces of things and sort of try to weave them together in a way that would sometimes somehow make sense to give a you know a few weeks of story arcs or whatever and we had to rely on a lot of the people that were localized because we could get them and we could film like their little vignettes or whatever. Hmm. But we built our actual promotional shows. And I shouldn't say we, they built their promotional shows around bringing in um, former WWF superstars. Hmm. And so they would bring in, I don't know. I remember the most memorable that I can recall was uh, we had Kamala for a couple shows. Oh, and we had Sherry, okay. Mar- Sherry Martell for a couple shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And of course it was, if you book Sherry Martell, you put, you book Candy Divine, they're going to put on a match. They've done it 1 million times. They're the only people they've ever wrestled, you know, but we would do it on our, you know, on our local stage. And so the interesting part of that whole experience for me was how we would just sit and it was very something like you would watch late night, like Mr. Yeah, Science yeah. 3000. <laughs> yes. Anyway, it, it was certainly not at the level of, what we would see on any broadcast today, but there was a lot of uh, shooting the shit and, mm. and I was extremely colorful. And I remember at one point in time, I would, I would, was trying to push the idea with it. Cause we had a series of these matches with Candy Devine and, and Sherman Martell. And I was trying to push this idea that the, the referee who I'm sure he's deceased now, his name was Andy Cartarelli was very uh, flirtatious or being seduced by Sherry Martell. Okay. Yeah. And if you'd ever seen the guy, he was wildly unappealing. We'll just, we'll say that like wildly un- unappealing, very nice gentleman, but n- not attractive. But I remember the first, we'd, we'd recorded several of these episodes and, you know, they were like in the can, we are just waiting for them to go out. And after the first one went on this public access TV show with probably five viewers, uh, Andy's wife called and she was irate. Oh no. <laughs> the suggestion that her husband had something, you know, but uh yeah so it was it was very different and then 
Um, more recently, I have actually been involved as recently as last year, before, right before COVID, we, yeah. we put on a show and, and throughout the previous year and the year before with a localized promotion in, in California. In wrestling for Charity, Specific. is that? Re yes, Wrestling yeah. for Charity and, and, and a couple of other shows. Uh, the Wrestling for Charity show, which we did, obviously we would partner with charitable organizations and do events to help raise money for them, as well as I did one show for um, Sacramento pro wrestling and then a couple of other extraneous bits and pieces here and there. And, and those were a lot of fun too, but the, it's very different. I, I think that, you know, that's an in-ring type of personality. I had, I had an in-ring personality for all of like five seconds in that, in the early nineties. And then they were like, you're much better just being on a, because yeah, I've seen it. One of the questions I was going to ask is I saw, I saw you take a particularly stiff looking forearm. And I wondered, I don't know if that's the, is that, is that the first time you've been physically involved? Cause I was going to ask about the nerves about, about that. Cause I'm sure it was, well, I don't know if it was worked very well. It looks very, it looked very, very, I say stiff in a, in a complimentary way in terms of the guy's work, but yeah, crikey. I think I would have been, I think I'd have been in, in bits thinking about trying to do that. So how, how was that? So, I'm ex I'm exceedingly proud of that particular yeah. video. Which it looked great. Like I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. And so um, the story of that is that I was helping to co-promote that those shows, that series of shows, helping to book all of the stories. I was doing a lot of, I was very, I was very integrated in that experience and it was, was and hopefully will remain once we return yeah. absolutely phenomenal so we were putting on shows for small but extremely enthusiastic audiences that were, had been following a storyline wherein uh, a professional wrestling personality named the cold one ac and i had been in this ongoing feud for control of wrestling mm. for charity and he had been um suspended and then he sent a messenger uh, Jekyll's the Jester, which is a, a fantastic professional wrestler in Northern California and along the West Coast. And and Jekyll's is known for being very stiff. Yeah. Uh, very, very stiff. And uh, and he was our, had just been our champion at the time. And, and so the fun fact is that we booked that and nobody, nobody except like probably three people knew it was going to happen. Oh, that's great. And yeah. because of even the wrestlers knowing how stiff he is and how much of a bit of a loose cannon he can be, mm. when when it happened, everyone, there, there was a collective shock from audience to performers because yeah. they did not see it coming. And it was extremely stiff. I was <laughs> extremely bruised. Wow, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but... It looked fantastic, it did. and it really my did. and my hair didn't fall off because no. <laughs> um, I because I, I was in in full character for that with a full uh, full wig, and it looked fantastic. And people ate that story up, and they yeah. certainly came back to see the next installment. I just thought it was great. I, I think I'd be worried. I, I mean, there's not an element of that I wouldn't be worried about. I'd be worried about it hurting. I'd be worried about taking a weird looking bump. And I just thought it was, it was, it was really, really fantastic. So yeah, I, it'd be nice. You know, hopefully later part, part of this year, indie wrestling will be back. Cause I really miss it. And I know you're off to dynamite as we record this. Yeah. We record this. We're putting this six days ahead of its release. So I'm very jealous of that because there's nothing better than going to live wrestling. So that, that leads me nicer to my next question. What stuff do you watch next? I know we, we were mentioning you were watching the MLW. So are you just on everything or is there particular things that you, you duck in and out of? I, I watch as much as I possibly can watch. Mm. I watch 
of course, all of the hours of WWE every week. I oh, watch. I, sorry to talk. How are you? How have you found that? Because so I'm jumping around here. And my brain's working faster than my mouth. But, it's fine. Um, I think that pandemic wrestling, I found that lots of people um, have very particular things that they can kind of tolerate or between tolerate and like. I struggle with the Thunderdome. How have you found that? that environment with the, I mean, it looks very impressive, but that's, that's, I, I'm not sure I could, if Raw was really like, let me, let me rephrase that. If, if it was like Steve Austin, The Rock, and that was that Raw and it was in front of that, I probably could, I probably could make it work and I would watch it. But I, I've struggled with that. How have you found their presentation so far? Well, I think that the Thunderdome um, is a great option, I guess, for giving at least some, audience participation, yeah. number one. But I also will tell you that, or remind you that I grew up watching studio professional wrestling yep. or yep. professional wrestling that was lower budget. And yeah. I, of course I became spoiled like the rest of the world by watching professional wrestling evolve into this multi-billion dollar industry, wherein I my expectation is the highest quality of um, presentation and a presentation in front of thousands of live fans. But um, my love for professional wrestling extends beyond that. And mm. I, the, the one thing that I have um, sadly felt is missing is some kind of like uh, personal energy in the room. Yeah. And, you know, both as an audience member and as somebody who is not just a, like an occasional or sporadic professional wrestling personality performer, but somebody who's like, I, as a performer, I've spent a lot of years on a stage and, yeah. you know, performing for a, an, an energetic, enthusiastic, invested audience is invaluable in that yeah. experience because you feed off of their energy and their responses motivate what your next move is. So it becomes that I think is one of the things that I've found most troubling is because the audience has been always and always should be an integral part in the interaction between the wrestler and that yeah. audience. And so without people there to actively, you know, engage, what we're getting is a lot of WWE specifically, because I think that they're the most involved in that area are moving along their narrative with really limited kind of feedback of what yeah. the audience would actually think. Yeah, how can you turn someone heel or face when you've got no reaction? That's that's the thing. Because I wonder when there's a crowd with a Roman Reigns can get cheered. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. I think he probably will do. But then obviously, I know that his work's been um, you know a lot of plaudits during this time. But I, I don't think any of them have got got it quite right. AEW is probably the closest, isn't it? I think in terms of the way that they've they've done it. But then they've got a big outdoor amphitheater they can work with. So I suppose they're in a they're in a beneficial position, aren't they? Yeah, I, I mean, so, you know, in terms of what WWE is presenting, I think the Thunderdome is not my problem with it. I think that the, and it could just be because of the fact that they're trying to limit the number of talent that they actually have on hand at any given time. Mm. It feels like they are working with an absolute fraction of of a cast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like we are, my issue has been that we've always or long said that a lot of the programming for WWE, even before this has been redundant, it feels yeah. like it's repetitive and ongoing, but you know, when we see, what was it probably four or five months of legitimately the same match between Garza and Andrade versus 
you know, the street profits or whomever, like that, that it was so very repetitive. Yeah. And um, I, I think that that was my bigger issue rather than, I like the Thunderdome. I think that it looks great to me. It is the most high end form of studio. Yeah. Wrestling. yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point to put it actually. So you obviously were on WWE, um, MLW we, we touched on as well. So AEW, obviously you, you regularly AE- watching that week, week to week. Yeah. AEW- and what do you think about them since their, since their debut overall? Of AEW? Yeah. Yeah. Um, overall, I think that um, I think the most of it has been fantastic. They yeah. tend to focus on a lot of things that are very interesting to me. Like I said early on, I have a huge affection and affinity for professional wrestling tag teams, yeah. and they have blown even the greatest depth of tag team wrestling that WWF ever knew yeah. at any given time out of the water. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I have only recently tried to get into their dark show. You know, mm. I've never been a big fan of the shows that tend to lean more towards uh, like the squash mashes and t- enhancement yeah. talent type of shows, like, which would be, I guess the, you know, what like WWF has had, WWE had a number of those. Yeah. Like super really, challenge back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never super duper loved those. Um, so dark was a little more uh, difficult for me to get into, but I am actually starting to even enjoy a lot of that because oh, they're yeah. showcase because they're showcasing professional wrestlers, younger professional wrestlers, or yeah. unsigned wrestlers from all over. And in one capacity or another, like most of those people for me are like one degree of separation from somebody I know. Like, oh, that's mm. my buddy's buddy, or I worked an indie show with that person, or uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I've been beginning to enjoy those. Um, MLW is something that I started to watch when they were on hiatus. I went back and started watching those from like a long, long time ago. I did the same thing with, there's a championship wrestling from Hollywood syndication in Memphis. And I started watching them from the very beginning when we were watching the primetime live shows, when they were having those broadcasts, I was watching all of those. I was a paid subscriber to their pay-per-views and I really enjoyed those. That's great. I mean, anytime that, I mean, I watch Ohio Valley Wrestling and yeah, talk yeah. about the, the lowest budget of the lowest budget. Um, you know, I, I I even find elements of that that I really enjoy and some that just drive me batshit crazy. But I, you know, I will watch any professional wrestling I can get my hands on because Did I'm you, a pro wrestling fan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what it's all about. Did you catch any of Wrestle Kingdom this this this, uh, this week or last, last I, week as it is now and this comes out? Yeah, I did not because I... That's one of the the few that has been um, traditionally been hard for me. Any of the like, there's particular ones like I would love to get more into the Japanese professional wrestling, mm. but it's just difficult for me to invest if I don't understand what's being said. Or yeah, yeah. because I I would like to say that you know the element of commentary introduces you to the stories and the backstories of the characters, and it keeps you involved. Whereas the in-ring action can be phenomenal, but if you kind of don't know what's, what's going on, it's only so exciting. It's yeah. that partnership between the commentary, telling the story and the in-ring action, supporting and telling the same story. This has been a really difficult, I, I, um, this has been a really difficult year for New Japan. And it's, pro- it's probably the promotion that over the last four, four or so years, I've moved kind of a bit away from WWE because I used to be a regular regular WrestleMania goer pretty much every year um traveling from the UK over there but then I I went into in 2019 and, and I, I pretty much decided that's it for me even before the pandemic um but New Japan the problem with them this year is that they they had some English commentary who are, are, are really good for the Wrestle Kingdom but for the vast majority of the year the live shows 
um, were did not have the English commentary. Now, if you if you speak to a, a like an absolute, and I remember I was at the Tokyo Dome last year, and we had, we had a we had a very Japanese lunch at TGI Fridays the day of the fourth of January Tokyo Dome show. But I remember talking to like a real diehard British guy who who loves it, and he's like, "Oh, I love the Japanese commentary." I'm like, "Oh, really? Okay, well." And I found eight years and years ago, and he got almost no English commentary. I could I could kind of deal with it. Then you got the English commentary on a lot of the live shows and it was really good. And then it went back to Japanese commentary because the English guys weren't there or the American guys and English commentary weren't there. So I've struggled with it a lot this year. And also talking about presentation, they've got sort of one third capacity crowds, but they can't cheer or boo. So you can't, there's no heel heat and they they, they can clap and stomp their feet and stuff. Um, but it's, again, it's not, I remember that what I think Dominion was the first big show they had with the crowd. And I was so, I don't know if you've had this in the pandemic, but nothing's quite the same. So you look forward to a big soccer match here. I'm really into or whatever it may be. And it's just, nothing is the same because it's not the same about crowd. And I think wrestling is the, is the worst of all sports in terms of you need, you know, you need that crowd, don't you really? So yeah, it's really, it's well, really tough. Because professional wrestling is, at its heart, a theatrical presentation, yeah. you know, not to take away from the athletic element of it or the sports related element to it, but it's a, it, it is a theatrical presentation. Everything about it, um, especially as we've come to expect it to, in this day and age is tremendously theatrical. Yes. And, you know, it's just like anything that is theater. You, the audience has to be a participating yeah. part of it's, it. Yeah. It's like you watch a stand up special on, Netflix or something and the, the comedian was doing it and it, it didn't have any canned anything it's just and that wouldn't it wouldn't you might find some of it funny but it's just not it wouldn't be quite right or go to a comedy club and you weren't allowed to laugh it's just you know it's not it's not quite there is it but fingers crossed fingers crossed this year we'll get some live wrestling back and obviously you're, you're off to that's going to be I think that's going to be really interesting please do message me after you've been to um, because I'm really interested in take some photos and stuff so I'm really interested in your in your experience there so have you got any I'm cont- very excited as well yeah it's Omega and Phoenix isn't it in the main event I believe we're dating this a little bit because we're going to be out of date but I think that's tonight isn't it I believe yes yeah, um, yeah. it's it's going to be Ray Phoenix featuring Kenny Omega for the AEW world title yeah, that's it's also Abaddon versus Hikaru Shida for oh, the Shida women's well, title yeah. yeah Cody Rhodes versus um uh, 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 Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel. Oh, Matt Seidel, yeah, um, yeah. And and so there, it's a pretty good card. And this my nephew. This is my nephew's first ever live. Oh, so how old is your nephew? Nineteen. Oh, okay. And... I, was, I thought you were going to say like seven or something. Then, but you know, so but it's still all good. First wrestling show, so it's very exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It, well, you you know, I have I've lived on the opposite coast. He's here in Florida, and I'm on the opposite coast in California. Yes, yeah, and I, I happen to be home with him. I'm here working for who knows how long. And uh, one of the things that whenever I would come home, you know, I would always watch wrestling. And I remember uh, when I met, sat down with with Hulk Hogan for an interview, and I was like, "Would you mind, you know, signing these things for my nephews?" Um, and you know, they, so they've always been peripherally interested in it. Yeah. But this is just when I, this whole time I've been here, I, we, we watch it every week and all the different shows. And he's really surprising me because he's picking up on the, I'll tell him the backstories and he'll be like, wasn't that the one that you said that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that so is. cool. Yeah. You're making so a believer really, out of him. That's really, really good. Um, and Snoop Dogg is on this show and he's very excited about that. How, what's the weather there, there like? Because I know it's been very cold in Jacksonville uh, the last few weeks. Is it going to be a cold it, one? Or is it-, it has been it's been pretty cold. And as far as I know, because the theater or that, you know, the arena or whatever it's considered is on 
very close to the to the water right, it's probably okay. gonna be even colder so i will be finding layers of things to wear tonight so it's funny the guy that, that owns and runs aw tony khan is also the, the owner of the foot of the soccer club that i support in london and our, our ground is by the river and i think that's where they were going to do fighter fest in this, this past summer had they not you know, had the pandemic, but we're, we're right on the, it's literally right on the river Thames and you, there's nowhere on earth. I reckon that's colder than there in December or, or January. Cause you, what else do you do in life? Are you just sit out in the cold for two or three hours? Just as like, but I'm sure it'll be layer up. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So my last question before we go on to the, um, go on to the review of the January 12th, 85 episode of Mid-South is, are there any particular wrestlers now, perhaps this is, given you interview wrestlers, perhaps this is an unfair question, but any particular wrestlers that you're, you know, you're fond of and some of your, your some of your favorites, you know, across all promotions at the moment? You know, I, I am having a very difficult time trying to find and pinpoint people in the current generation that I, am like super passionate about I yeah think. and that's a problem you know, i think you need someone that you want to get behind don't you i think yeah yeah i and i i've i've had like bits and pieces of that and i've seen bits and pieces of it and i don't know that it's coming from wwe and i don't know that it's necessarily coming from aew i th there's a lot of people who i'm very anxious to see as they grow in yeah. professional wrestling and see how they can develop i will tell you that uh, in terms of people in AEW, I'm extremely excited about the acclaimed. I really yeah, like they look great. their presentation. Really yeah. Mac, Max Caster, who I discovered for the very first time on one of those um, United Wrestling uh, primetime live broadcast. Yeah, yeah. I was impressed with him from Go. And Anthony Bowen is somebody I've interviewed on my non-wrestling related podcast because of his personal life and the story of, of his struggles to really become somebody who's in the position he's in now, which is signed to a major wrestling yeah. organization. And um, I'm excited about them. I was very excited about a lot of what we were seeing with Ricky Starks when he was in NWA. And I thought the trajectory for him was very good. It still appears to be now yeah. that he's in AEW. And, you know, somebody, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think that it was Tony Schiavone might have stated that the quite blatantly obvious where he's like, he reminds me of a, a young Dwayne the Rock mm. Johnson. And I, I was like, well, you know, anybody who's ever laid a pair of eyes on him has said that yeah. and listened to him promo. So I'm very excited, um, you know, about those younger talents. They're not people who are anywhere near a main event right now. And I think that, you know, the development of those individuals bodes well for me uh, in yeah. terms of fan but there's a lot of people in general, you know, that kind of, kind of almost get me there. Uh, I'm, I'm also a fan of the work that FTR is doing with Tully Blanchard. Just yeah, because, I really like Tully as uh, well. Yeah. So, I yeah, think these guys. I think these guys like like the kind of people like that. I think when they get and they will get in the arena at some point. I think they're going to be, I think that you, you imagine, you imagine the first five, 10 weeks of like proper 10,000 and it's going to have, you know, I, I know America's very different rules here. We can't do anything here at the moment, nothing, zero lockdown. But when that happens and it's, you know, even if it's 5,000 and 10,000, whatever it is, these guys are going to be superstars because everyone's going to be, everyone will be in a good mood. Everyone will be craving live entertainment and live wrestling. And I think, yeah, let's okay. hope, you know, let's hope it brings a bit of a renaissance and every, you know, I, I'm, I'm a wrestling, like, you said i'm a pro wrestling fan i can moan and whine and be and complain about vincent McMahon and creating WWE. 
I want WWE to be, I want WWE to be amazing. If WWE is amazing, that means the indies will get more people and you'll get more, more athletic, you know, guys and girls getting into the sport. And you just like, it's just better. And, and, you know, the more good indie people are, there more people come over to the UK and being Rev Pro and Progress and all that sort of stuff. So the, the, the better the top guy is and the better AEW is and the better New Japan is and all the guys have got options, the better it is for all of us. So, right, let's, let's move on to um, this episode of Mid-South. Cool. I just wanted I wanted to throw in there that the, oh, person, yeah, go ahead. the, the main person from WWE that um, I am like that I've loved since he was in Impact is Karrion Cross. So I'm uh, very yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm excited to see him get the restart that he deserves so they can do with him what they want. Of course, I can't think of a single person really on the main roster for WWE that you know floats my boat, but mm. NXT is phenomenal. So yeah. I've been really excited about that. So, I'm really okay. again, again. I'm really looking forward to them getting back in, back in the arenas because NXT, yes. their their takeovers were just like must much. What one of the best best wrestling events I've ever been to was their takeover before WrestleMania, the last proper one in um in Brooklyn with Gargano and Adam Cole in the two out of three. I mean, it was just it was like an out of body experience, and like you do get that sometimes with wrestling. It's just like it get mm-hmm. and, and Gargano and, and Almas was like that. It's like and actually to be fair, the Wrestle Kingdom main event night two was like that, even without the the cheering it just kind of takes you to that level that i don't think like normal you know re- regulars like don't get me wrong if i if fulham win a you know a big game that's unbelievable and it's incredible but it's a different emotional response to wrestling at its absolute purest and its peak it's just yeah it's just something that's not you know there's nothing quite like it is there really i don't think i i don't think so because i think that you know what we don't that we, what we get in professional wrestling is different than what we get in most other sports because, you know, professional wrestling is a literally a series of the, like the high impact passes and touchdowns or the goals. And like, it's just like a series of that over and over and that feeling that you of exhilaration that you can feel every time somebody scores a goal or, you know, makes a big interception or whatever, you get those over and over in professional wrestling versus those long periods of time, you know, where it's sort of like, I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going to go, you know, (laughs) um, during other sporting events, because, you know, when a a game extends several hours, one game, you know, you're only waiting for that one outcome, but professional wrestling, you know, eight minutes or whatever, of just like all of those highs. So it can be very, which is why in professional wrestling, they have to give you variety of matches to allow you to ride that emotional roller coaster so it's not to completely wipe you out before you yes. get to that next emotional crescendo. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So here we are back in Shreveport um, for the January 12th, 85. Now, do you, do you think you saw this when it first aired? Do you have any memory of this with this going through it? I did not have any specific memory of uh, this. If it, not all of it. I did remember the the key moment where they had hacksaw duggan in the ring and they were <laughs> yes. awarding him the the, the cup, yes the cup yes we will get there we will get there so um jo- jim ross and joel watts are here this week and joel is back after a few weeks away and ross says that it was great to have joel back after his trip to hawaii and i don't know if you caught this but joel said he actually pauses here and he said with glee Pat, when perhaps a little sadness I thought behind his eyes that it was one of the best times of his life it really made me think of like reminiscing over old boys trips to sort of Greek islands in my late teens and early 20s and realizing those times are gone forever did you pick that up from uh, from Joel here and the sadness I I didn't pick up on that because I was so busy judging the fact that 
no talent Joel Watts is the co-host <laughs> next to probably the single most iconic mm. announced person in most of the people who are existing's lifetime. Yes. You know, right right now, like JR has become the single most impactful professional wrestling announcer of the last several generations. Oh, big time. And, yep. and of course, here's JR looking like a baby faced, you know, like a cherubic youth in his own right. And then <laughs> he's next to the awkward, gangly son of the professional wrestling <laughs> oh, promoter who owns yeah. this place. And it was, when I was watching this, I thought to myself, I didn't even remember Joel Watts being a thing. Of course, I do remember later trying to be force-fed Eric Watts when yeah. that wasn't a thing either. And I was just like, woo, the nepotism <laughs> runs deep in that family. <laughs> the, the best bit of, there's so many incredible Joel Watts moments on this television show. And one of the best ones is coming up a little bit later on. But Joel runs through the matches. They've got Terry Taylor versus Hercules for the TV title. Brad Armstrong versus Steve Williams for the North American title. Iceman King Parsons, Jake Roberts and Kamala will also all be in action. And then Ross through to an interview that took place prior to the TV show starting. And uh, basically, Ross recaps the fact that Mid-South had banned the football helmet. So Dr. Steve Williams had been taking uh, a football helmet down to ringside, something that um, Watts referred to as Mr. Helmet. Um, and basically, Ross had, had said that in the last four or five months, people have been telling him, uh, sorry, Dr. Death said that in the last four or five months, people have been telling him that he has to use the helmet to win matches. He's proven to Duggan and other people that he's a tough football player. He was a four-time All-American in wrestling. And he doesn't need the helmet anymore. And he's going to show everyone in Mid-South what a great wrestler he is. And he's going after the North American title. And then Ross, back on commentary, puts over the achievements of Williams. I don't know what happened. So I know some stuff that happens in the future, but I'm kind of what, not in real time. You know what I mean? I watch this week to week and learning as I go. So this felt a bit babyfacious and you can give away spoilers there's no problem with that um so what did you think of this promo from steve williams here because i thought they were maybe repositioning him as a fan favorite well the first thing that came to mind during the course of this is how early in steve williams career this is mm. because you know they are start they're, they're what they're doing here is they you know by the time when i think of steve williams's career it's well beyond this and i think of his accolades in the ring yes and this is certainly displaying how new to his professional wrestling career he is and he's been a heel where he's been using the helmet because when he's talking about people like you know uh jim duggan who is their biggest baby face next to jyd talking about how he has to use this title obviously or this uh, helmet to get the victories obviously it's uh, the actions of a heel. Yes. And what yeah. I felt that they were doing is they were beginning to transition him from the character they introduced him as, which is this formal football player, all American. Um, and of course we know that that's because he was from Oklahoma and he, and Jr. of course, big Oklahoma fan. I'm sure that there was a big tie to that. And so that's what they wanted to bring him in as that's what people may have known him as at that early time. And now all of a sudden they're repositioning him like, well, I was also an all American professional, yes. uh, you know, an all American yeah. wrestler. And I'm going to begin to show you that. So they have, they've established him as who they're presumably they want him to be for the short term, which is this character of the football player. Now they have to establish his credibility as a professional wrestler. Yeah, and quite, yeah, absolutely. So first match up, we've got Dale Vesey and Rick Oliver versus Tim Horner and Private Terry Daniels. And Terry takes quite a long time taking off his uh, his uh, his military gear did, here. Do you know? Did you that? think he was ever going to get off the, the oh, pants off? No, like, ah. so <laughs> it 
was, it was just, I, I actually looked out the window downstairs in my kitchen and I, because I thought, oh, I need to pay attention to this in case like there's some interesting commentary or whatever. And then I looked back and thought, oh, I must have missed the start of the match. He was still taking them off. So yeah, it took a while. And um, it was, this was unusual actually, because Rick Oliver was on the kind of, in being kind, the enhancement side of things, actually had a pretty sustained period of offense in this before um, Daniels hit a suplex and made the tag. And, and the finish came in 3.11 via Cobra Cut. Cobra clutch submission by Daniels on VC while Horner fought off Oliver with great looking drop kicks. Um, I thought it was some decent action in here. What did you think of this match? Did you have any memories of Daniels or Horner? Well, the, the interesting thing for me really was that Daniels and Horner, yes, I, I mean, I know them fairly well, but the person who stood out to me in this match was they have him listed as Rick Oliver, but he, his wrestling name was Rip Oliver. And he became ah, a right very right. well-established heel in the Pacific Northwest and carried that promotion for many years up in the Pacific Northwest. Port- Seattle, Portland, 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 Portland. Yeah. yeah. And, and he also was very successful uh, just traveling like a journeyman professional wrestler, the, the bleach blonde hair. And when, as soon as I saw him, I was like, that's Rip Oliver. So it was surprising to me. Um, in retrospect, to see that he was like considered an enhancement talent, but they did give him a great deal of offense. He obviously was not the person who who took the fall. And then the uh, corporal who took a long time to strip, he ended yeah. up being uh, you know a Sergeant Slaughter lackey in the WWE later on. And then Tim Horner was ultimately um, predominantly relegated. I, one of the things I loved in that match is they said. Um, He's fast as lightning Mm. on the commentary about Tim Horner's offense. And ultimately that became his nickname was White Lightning. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's some incredible knowledge there. That's it. I mean, it's funny you just mentioned about Sergeant Slaughter. I, um, about a year ago, made what in retrospect was not an amazing purchase because I thought I need to try and do some background on this. So I bought a year's worth of 1984, early 85 wrestling observers because I thought, oh, yeah, no, like this would be, this would be great. There's probably three paragraphs about Mid-South and these were monthly at the time. So there's almost nothing in there about Mid-South. So, and actually to be, I don't know if you, I don't know, do you read any, any Dave Meltzer? Because I know every, every, he's quite a divisive character. So I, I, I should choose my words carefully for asking about him. Um, I briefly met him. Did um, you? Okay. At, at, at a very, I mean, very, very in passing. Mm. Um, and it was when we were all backstage, um, they we it was when I was working for the Huffington Post and I was invited to the um it was that when WrestleMania was going to be in Santa Clara at the brand new Levi Stadium. Yeah, did you go to that? And one? I did not go oh, to okay. they invited me, but I didn't yeah. go. Um, I traveled to that. It was anyways, carry on. So yeah. And so we were back, we it was the grand opening of that stadium, and mm. it was a VIP um type of event and we had and there was like charlotte was there and Stu bennett uh and i'm trying to think of some others who were there it was it was a really like fun group of people that they Mm. had and Meltzer was one of the people there um and i had heard his name for so many years and i'd never done any research on him okay yeah uh really previous to that and i just remember looking at him and, you know, he looked so disheveled. He looked like he lived in his, you know, his mother's uh, basement type of thing. And, uh, and I, you know, that is wildly disrespectful to him. And it, it's, you know, I don't disrespect the kind of legacy of contributions that he has to pro wrestling. But mm. what I cannot stand is like, 
you know, his, his opinion makes no more matter to anybody. And the fact that uh, I think that when we find ourselves in situations where people are consistently sort of accusing him of being like a muckraker and like, mm. you know, kind of twisting the truth for his own benefit. I, I don't think that people where there's smoke, there's fire. So I, I would say yeah. that there's like a great deal of truth to that probably. I think we I don't, I don't know a single thing about him, but I, I'm not. No, no, I think that's, that's, a, that's, you know, that's reasonable. I've, I've listened to him for a long, I listened to, so the pod, it's, it's actually just to get, get your thoughts on this actually. I know we're, we're, we're diving off on a tangent, but sometimes tangents on podcasts can be the best thing. I listened to him. I listened to John Pollock, who's very good on um, post wrestling and it was previously at live audio wrestling as well. And those tend to be the two. Dave, I think um, is, first name terms clearly um is a is a really really excellent historian um the bit that i find difficult and i think i'm not the only one here is um i can take the star rating somewhat with a pinch of salt but when when it's okay this match in the g1 in in um in japan in october in front of a crowd that couldn't cheer which was fine was five stars and I don't know. You pick you pick a Bret Hart match that wasn't you know. I, I can't I can't compute that, and that's the bit I think some some people are starting to kind of you can't tell. And someone made a really good point about this. You can't tell me that these matches that no one will remember in six months are better than matches that you and I you know we could list off twenty matches off the top of our head that are phenomenal, meaning like mean something to us, etc. So that's that's the bit where I think he ties himself in knots a little bit a little bit these days. But these observers are interesting in so much that they're He's obviously really young when he did these, and they're just not very. Uh, this sounds awful, and I, apologies. I doubt he's listening, but they're just not all that very. They're not very good. So that's the bit. I just like, I'm not reading them because it's not. It's just not. Yeah, not. It's not great. Great work, unfortunately. Well, I mean, you know, everybody has to learn and grow, and they. We all yeah, exactly, and that's fair enough because his writing's much better now. Yeah, exactly. So I, I won't I be just, getting eighty five. I I just don't like the idea that. Um, he's one person he's one mm -hmm. professional wrestling fan yeah you know and and it's not um and there's no scientific measurement to this so mm -hmm. it's like you know it's it's opinion he is a respected individual he yep. is um he has a tremendous depth of knowledge and if he has an opinion about it that's fantastic but um i will tell you that um there's many movies on rotten tomatoes that get shitty reviews and yep. i love those movies still yeah so you know um i i don't base my i i don't base my personal relationships on anybody else's relationship with a person yeah and i don't base my opinion of a pro wrestling product on um on, on somebody else's opinion of a pro wrestling yeah product. what i like to do is I, I i don't like um so i've got a couple of wrestling whatsapp groups and i i really don't like what i would call an opinion spoiler so I don't like, so there's a couple of groups where I try to stay clear of. And I, I, I don't want someone to say to me, Dynamite was a great show last night. You've got to watch it. I don't want, I don't want that. Because obviously in the UK, we don't see any of this stuff. This is all middle right. of the night. So we're always the next day, pretty much. Apart from, we do stay up for pay-per-views quite a bit, but I can't make, I can't do a Wednesday night at 1am for Dynamite. Right. Um, but, so I don't want that. I just want to, I want a clear mind and I'll watch it for my opinion. Then I'll have a look at what John Pollock said or waiting or Meltzer or Wade Keller or, or various people. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting to see, to see the differences. But yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's all about forming your, your own views. We're about to come on now to my, one of my favorite segments in the history of Mid-South wrestling. So, and I hope I haven't, I haven't, um, you know, over, over egged this, but 
So basically there's a graphic going into break to say that Hacksaw Jim Duggan was going to be given an award. And Ross said that after the break, that on New Year's Eve, Mid-South promoted two great events in Tulsa and Oklahoma. And they had uh, two great surprises in Tulsa. And Bill Watts presented Jim Duggan with the first Athlete of the Year award with him receiving, is it Lucien Picard? I've never heard of that. Gold, gold and sapphire it- cufflinks. Yeah, so what I felt that this was, if I'm not mistaken, Lucian Picard was uh, like a jeweler in Houston. That's where their home base is. So basically, probably they gave them these, you know, cuffs and we're going to mention your name 50 times Uh, on our product over the next five weeks. (laughs) They certainly did. Um, Promotional sponsorship. I mean, when I think of wrestling and what I would award a wrestler for being great, the thing that automatically springs to mind is cufflinks. Um, and plus, it was Ross mentioned it was Joel Watts' birthday. It's 21st. Um, so Watts is in the ring as the graphic reads December 31st in Tulsa. And Watts calls out Doug and he gets a great reaction from the crowd. Watts said they, that he had been selected by all the promoters as the Mid-South Athlete of the Year for 1984. And Watts then reveals that Lucian Picard, solid gold and sapphire cufflinks. Doug and I thought the thing that like when you get a terrible Christmas present and you have to feign that you're happy. Did you spot that? It's like, I think he went, oh, 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 or something. It's like, he doesn't want these cufflinks. Uh, what's even then brings up that you may think that cufflinks are an unusual gift given how Jim dresses. However, he saw Jim Duggan in a tuxedo one time and he really looked great. He then added that he called Duggan's parents and asked what he should get him. And his parents said something that would mean he would dress a bit nicer. I mean, this is just, I, can't, I couldn't believe, I watched this today. It was just unbelievable. It was incredible. Duggan then gets on the microphone, says thank you, and that they're sh- for sure the finest pair of cufflinks he's ever worn. And the next time they see him on TV, he'll be dressed to the town's baby. Watts then says that they have one more award and ask Bill Dundee and also Joel to come into the ring. Watts announces it's Joel's 21st birthday, which gets a nice cheer. And Bill gives him a magnum of champagne. Joel gives Bill the most awkward hug in the history of human life that Bill absolutely doesn't entertain whatsoever and doesn't move. And then Duggan asks the crowd to sing happy birthday to Joel, which they don't seem to join in too enthusiastically. Duggan then asks Joel to let him know when the pops of the t- uh, when he pops the champagne. I thought, forget Omega and Okada, forget Randy and Elizabeth reuniting at WrestleMania 7. I think I've just seen the best segment in the history of pro wrestling. What did you think about the absolute brilliance of this uh, this Mid-South segment? I was, um, it was so, you know, I told you from the beginning, I was already previously blown away to realize something that had somehow escaped me my entire childhood, which is that this entire production is a nepotism project to help Bush's kid. <laughs> but this makes it all the more obvious. And then, then the kid is like some awkward 21 year old. They're coming in. I The part that like surprised me the most is Bill Dundee comes in. Mm. Superstar Bill Dundee comes into the ring. He's like three feet tall. He um, delivers this magnum of champagne, which is actually the same size he is. But... <laughs> Bill Dundee, of course, is a superstar in his own, literally a superstar in his own right. He was very famous throughout the entire um, continental wrestling area, the Memphis wrestling area. He went on to have his greatest success as part of a tag team with Jerry the King Lawler, where they actually won the AWA tag team titles, uh, world tag team titles, the only world tag team title, a legitimate one that Dundee has ever held. But it was just, the, the whole thing was, it was cringeworthy beyond. <laughs> I beyond. think you had the opposite reaction to me. I absolutely loved it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I, I mean, I think that 
the the same reason that you love it is the same reason that I hated it because you are yeah. enjoying the fact that it's cringeworthy. Yes, and I was just like, yes, mm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So back at the desk, Ted DiBiase is there with Ross and he said he watched a segment on the monitor and I thought, I bet you probably like this bit. He said Mid-South has done some ridiculous things, but this must be the most ridiculous of all. He talks about how long, I can't even get through this without laughing. I like it so much. He talks about how long he had been in the top five, rated the top five wrestler, how he beat Duggan down in the parking lot when he was first back and how he should have got the award. And Ted also says, who cares about Bill Watts' son? Ross then issued some caution and said the last person who messed with Bill's family nearly got a broken jaw, um, referring to Cornette and the last stampede run of matches. Uh, did you did, do you remember? I mean, that was a huge thing when Bill Watts came back. Do, do you have some fond memories yes. of that time? Yeah, with yeah. him and Stagger Lee and um, Jim Ross out in the. I think he was out in the fields, wasn't he, with Junkyard Dog, and then they went off and found Stagger. And it was just so, it was obviously everyone knew, but it was just so well done, just just of incredible course. stuff. Yeah. Um, Ted then said, all right, all right, then happy birthday to Joel's son. Um, he goes on to comment on the cufflinks saying that he's class from head to toe and he could appreciate them, but what is Duggan going to do with them? Wear, wear them with a T-shirt and a bandana. And then he said, that's like taking a wino and then having them have dinner at the Waldorf, which I thought was a great line. Um, Debiossi then says he would like to see Jim Duggan dress up head to toe in coattails and the cufflinks so he can laugh at him because he doesn't believe he has enough class to dress that way. I thought this was pure gold from Debiossi. What did you think of this promo? Well, obviously, it's a tremendous amount of foreshadowing for what his character is going to be presented as yes, in WWE. Yeah. And one of the things that did surprise me in watching this is that I don't specifically remember from that era this being the Ted DiBiase that okay. we were presented. Because the, you know, Ted DiBiase, not that he was not, I mean, I guess there's an element, you know, he always, uh, walked this line, you know, the, he, he was presented sort of in WWF as sort of like their their version of Ric Flair, the kind of like mm -hmm. the million dollar, you know, without the robes, but with the suits of ridiculous, whatever. And um, in the Mid-South, he, he was basically kind of like a blue collar character for a lot of the time. Yep. And then this was after he had turned heel and he yes. become more of this, like, I've got money, I'm the greatest. Um, I thought that it was very interesting to note that, uh, or I was taken aback to see that they have the heel character, which are supposed to be booing, stating the blatantly obvious <laughs> about how, like he was stating every single thing, which many people watching this would likely be like, he's right, that, you know, that kid's ridiculous, this is bullshit, yeah. you know? And then that's, but that's what makes you the heel, I guess. And yeah, it was, um, it was, it was really good. And, and you, you, I think you absolutely nail on the head in terms of, you know, Vincent McMahon looking for this apparently character who always, you know, saw as himself, who always wanted someone to play. You can see why T Ted DiBiase was, was the chosen one, definitely. Um, so TV title on the line now and back from break. Boy, do I didn't notice to start off with, he's wearing a lovely, pink suit, pink tie and pink shirt, um, which I, I have a Boyd Pierce fashionometer on the show to kind of talk about a rating out of 10 for his various incredible suits. And I think this is a probably a solid 6.75 because it's not, I do like the pink, but not enough colors on it. So I'm going to, I'm going to mark him down a little bit for that. What did you think I'm of his suit? Uh, no, uh, Boyd, Boyd Pierce, Boyd Pierce. The, he looks like he looks like Paul Bosch, but this is Boyd Pearson. See, funny, it's funny you say that because we had I literally exact, thought I watched the whole episode thinking it was yeah, Paul Bosch. We had the exact same thing. So I did a Houston wrestling special for two with two two weeks of different house show matches from '84, and we had the exact same 
conversation with my co-host as to which one it was at ringside and then we decided it was it was Paul Bosch on that occasion but this is boy they look they look very similar and I think they both had you know had a penchant for colorful suits didn't they, I believe as well so yeah it's, I mean, it's crazy I, isn't it I spent this entire episode thinking that was Paul Bosch yeah it's mad isn't it it's really really mad um but yeah yes. I, I he, he uh so and, and usually Boyd Boyd is usually on commentary with Bill as you as you know obviously and obviously and Joel Joel uh, is with Jim Ross so the TV title is on the line and, and Buddy Landell, basically, so this, yeah, this is Terry Taylor and, um, crikey, I've, lo- I've lost my place in my notes. Terry Taylor and Hercules, there you go, came back. Yes. Thank you, yeah. So basically, but this didn't last too long. So Buddy Landell made his way to ringside um, and this ended in a DQ in 225 with Hercules attacking Taylor um, and the beatdown continued for some time until Iceman King Parsons made the save. I've actually really enjoyed Hercules during this run. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed this didn't go on for longer. What did you think uh, of the match and the finish and any sort of thoughts on Taylor and Hercules from this time? Terry Taylor was, they they were quickly moving him up the ranks. Mm. And I remember as a child, um, despite the fact that I was always drawn to the more heelish type of characters, I always really did like Terry Taylor a lot. Yeah. And he was very likable. He was very handsome. He um, was, they presented him very well. He, he had this ability to walk the line and eventually he fell across it into the heel category, but he had the, the ability to walk the line from the, as that handsome, well-dressed, like very popular with the ladies type of guy without coming across as arrogant. Yeah. And the classic, course, guys want to be him you know that, that yeah character. yeah exactly yeah but, but without being obnoxious about it yes. you know like yeah. the likable the likable guy the one the, you want to you know you want to ha- you know have a night out you want to be buddies with yeah them, exactly but, exactly but, yeah you know the quarterback of the football team and everybody wants to hang out with him and yeah. he's cool with everyone and um hercules you know he i had seen him previously when he was um in florida championship wrestling and then he came over here to uh, Texas, and he did the the character with Adnan al Kisi or um, oh, it's actually this was Skandar Akbar, sorry. And so he did this this shtick with Skandar Akbar, and Skandar Akbar always had the biggest faction of mm. heels, and I and I liked some of the different people that they would sort of cycle in and out of that, so it made it really interesting. But for me, the the winner in this was always Buddy Landell. I've always been a Buddy Landell fan, and I. Yeah. Um, was I've always been really sad that he never um, excelled beyond where he ultimately got to. Yeah. Career peaked early. Yeah, definitely. Um, Up next, Iceman King Parsons himself is in action up against Jack Victory. Um, I love the original entrance music on, um, on the YouTube version of the show, which I think a bit more scarce than 85, pretty much all of 84 is on YouTube. The 85 is, is a bit harder to find, but we are family as normal for Iceman, which the crowd reacted nicely for. Um, Iceman came off the middle rope with what Joel Watts called a clothesline, but something seemed to go wrong here, and Iceman seemed to hit Victory in the midsection with his head. Um, regardless, that was enough for the win in one twelve. Um, and <laughs> as he was, did you notice that? It was quite a. Botch, it was. I think, it was it? so yeah. terrible. How could yeah. you not notice it? And it was yeah. <laughs> finished, and it's like, oh, what a powerful clothesline! I'm like, he looked like he fell off the ropes and just like barely even. 
It was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best. Poor Iceman. So as he was leaving the ring, Buddy Landell came out and started shouting at Parsons. And Ross said that Landell was saying he wanted Iceman. And Parsons got back in there, but referees separated too. Joel speculated that Parsons could go at least another hour or so, given his conditioning. Um, And the refs seemed to... Then the refs basically... (laughs) Did you like that line? It's like, Joel's like, I think he can go probably... About another hour. I just thought, oh, come on, Joel. With his conditioning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Absolutely no problem at all. Um, and then the ref just let it happen, basically. So they stay separate and we have an impromptu match as the bell goes. And in just 42 seconds, uh, this time with the middle rope clothesline that landed as intended, Iceman was the victor. Um, so clearly they wanted to push Parsons hard since his return from world class. Uh, Buddy Landell was the unfortunate fall guy in this, but this was quite shocking, I thought. What did you think of the back-to-back matches with Iceman and his presentation here? Well, I, I want to, one of the things that stuck out to me about this was Jack Victory, because for some reason I had always, I had a weird uh, fixation on Jack Victory when I was mm. young. And Jack Victory ultimately ends up being the flag bearer for the sheep herders, and he spends a good long time yeah, with yeah, yeah. them. But he had also, um, th- I think that it was shortly, it might have been shortly after this or around this time, he had been with um, Hollywood John Tatum and Missy Hyatt as part of Hyatt and Hot Stuff. And there was a whole uh, scenario. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly in the timeline of their career. So he had been with John Tatum and they'd been tag team. And then he uh, ultimately that all fell apart and he ended up going over with the sheep herders, which uh, is presumably right after, not too long after this. And then Iceman had been so hot in WCW or mm. WCCW, yeah. World Cl- yeah, the world class championship wrestling. And this was in between his stints with them. And he came in and I was shocked that they gave him, I, well, I guess I wasn't shocked. I guess if you're going to give him back to back victories and you're going to potentially move him into title contention, like he, you know, that victory over uh, Buddy Landell, the fast, you know, one is going to set them up for something, a program going forward. Yeah, I mean, I but, think, but, but sorry, carry on, carry on. No, it just, it was one of the things where I was trying to remember, like, how he would become involved in the future. And he basically just moved into the to the tag team realm, really, I felt like after this. So it wasn't, you know, a big deal. And definitely not anybody who's going to replace Terry Taylor in terms of what they had in, in mind for the company. No, apparently, this is this is something I did get from the um, Feb- I think it's the February Observer. Apparently, their their Thanksgiving run and the and the live events around Christmas. And I know they they mentioned bad weather, but I think some of the shows around that time, not all of them, but some of them didn't draw all that well. And I do wonder whether they're they're just like we've got we've just got to push a push a baby face to the moon here. And and, and actually, Buddy Landell's so good that he you know he can come back and uh, come back from a loss like this and be you know pretty unaffected. Um, next up is Jake Roberts in his his karate bottom slash pajamas here. Um, and he was going up against Mike Jackson, who Ross called a veteran. Um, so I'm not sure what that makes him 37 years on. And he's already had, believe it or not, he's at, he's already had a match in 2021. At, I think he's either 70 yeah. or 71. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. Alabama junior heavyweight champion Mike Action Mike Jackson. Yeah, just 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 incredible. And I I saw the one with was it Johnny Swinger an impact um, about a I year think or so, so yeah. ago. Yeah, that was really really mm-hmm. good. Um, I thought there was some really nice stuff in this um, with the finish coming in three fifty eight. And we talked about Jake's facials um, and his devastating looking DDT. And um, what did you think about this Jackson and and uh, and Roberts one? It well, I was reflecting on Mike Jackson and his. Mm. What, what we've seen from him in um, 
with in impact and i think that he was on nwa even at one point yeah. i'm not sure and so it just sort of made me reminisce about that but what it also reminded me is how devastating the ddt was at that time because yeah. that was his finisher it was protected nobody else was allowed to do it you know it was not part of the lexicon of professional wrestling like it is today with everybody and their sister-in-law doing it at all times it was a definite like match ending finishing yeah. hold. Uh, and it, it did remind me, of course, how Jake has always been wildly intense with his promos. Everything about him is just top notch. And I've, you know, I've, I've always been a huge fan. As I mentioned, he was my favorite wrestler at that time or thereabouts. So yeah, I, I, sure. I can't recommend literally just, just what skip. I was going to say skip Bret Hart and Skinner, but if it is, the whole thing is probably about, 25 minutes on that that Tuesday in Texas show. So you get a pre-match Jake Roberts promo, pre-match Randy Savage, the match, the angle, and then post-match interviews from both. It's just, it's it's almost, uh, Meltzer, me, crikey, we've, 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 we've dropped his name so many times. Yeah, he, I think he, he and the Observer around that time, which he did the research on, called it one of the most shocking angles he'd ever seen. And it's actually, it's actually a little bit... Uh, it's incredible, but it's actually even a little bit uncomfortable. That's how hard they push it. But no, I, re I would really re recommend going back and watching that one. Um, so there's a handicap match up next with Kamala taking on Rocky King and George South. Um, and Kamala destroyed both with chokeholds, bear hugs, uh, as Joel talks about the fact he'd always been fighting for survival. And ultimately, Kamala won with a big splash in 131. So, so obviously, you, you mentioned earlier on that you'd, you'd, Kamala had been in, been in the promotion that you, you worked in. So what yes. was that experience like? And what are your memories of, of him and, and this character from back then? You know, the, so that promotion that I worked in, uh, that was in the, I want to say that by then it was in the early to in the mid nineties. Mm. So Kamala had come and gone one or two times from WWE. By yes, then. Yeah. But of course I had grown up watching him in this promotion and always saw him as, and I remember as a kid, I even had the WWE action figure, the rubber one. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. The original one was, that was, wasn't it? That's the first series one, wasn't it? I believe. Cause that that's, they yeah. changed from that point. Didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, I always that he was one of my favorites. So um, I just I always liked the character. I always liked his, um, you know, the the whole element of it. And I was watching this back, and it was um, a little different than I remembered. Mm. But it again, like in typical fashion, I'm such a longtime fan of professional wrestling. Of course, I keyed in on the fact that they had George South in there. Yeah, and I and I keyed in on the fact that they had Rocky King in there and those are people that were names that were, they were kind of the consistent enhancement talent throughout my early childhood. So it was just interesting to watch them and to see how they did not change that character whatsoever when they took it to WWE, no. not at all, nothing no. about it. Which is unusual for them, isn't it? Cause they always wanted to have their own creations and he did incredible business with Hogan. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I know, I know it's, a, it's a very sad story with Kamala towards the end. So it's, um, yeah, it's all a bit bittersweet seeing him back, looking back on these, um, these things now. I, I don't have any recollection of the time, the shows that he worked in. I think it was a couple of shows that he worked in that, uh, it was in Northeast Ohio. And I, I just don't have any recollection really of working with him other than kind of like working on the tapes of those shows. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I don't have any kind of thing to share. Um, I do remember 
how they used to change his name, the way the spelling of his name. Sometimes yeah. it was with which like they've changed in the last I. few weeks. Yeah, actually, yeah, because yeah. this is A this week, isn't it? Whereas it was I previously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's strange. Though sometimes the key gets things wrong anyway, which is I don't know if the key's done by the television station, maybe VAR, because I wonder if that's in the control of the promoter. Where they just send the tapes and the key back then might have been I don't know I don't know maybe local TV or I don't really know how that would have worked, but. Well, I think that the I think that what I think again it was just the same reason that WWE or WF would change people's names like yeah oh yeah. Kamala Kamala with an A is owned by them but Kim Mala with an I is you know we don't yeah nobody that makes that. a lot of sense. So next up, the big North American Championship match: Doctor Death, Steve Williams versus the North American Champion Brad Armstrong. Um, Brad Armstrong took a phenomenal looking bump after a football tackle from Williams at just under the three minute mark. And um, before Williams settled back into an arm lock, which I felt was a sl- slightly too much of a feature in this one. And um, Williams at 620 hit a superb looking belly to back suplex for a razor thin near fall before going back to work on the arm. And Ross said there was only a couple of minutes of TV time left as Armstrong briefly got back on top. And again, Ross mentioned the lack of television time remaining as Armstrong hit a big fist to the gut. Ross said they only had 50 15 seconds left and signed off as the bell went for a TV time limit draw in 8.20, which I actually believe is the longest match in 16 months of Mid-South Television that I've watched. Um, I quite like this, probably too many arm, too much arm locks, but this was two good wrestlers at, you know, peak. I guess uh, probably Williams was probably before his peak a little bit, actually. But Armstrong well was before so his peak. Yeah, well before his peak. What did you think of this uh, this this main event with, the, with kind of unusual finish from Mid-South, actually, at this point? To, to go off during a time with a time limit draw. Yeah. I think that that was very standard in a lot of the wrestling promotions at that time. Yes. The, yeah. The kind of, you know, it ends with nobody getting the upper hand. It allows, you know, for the continuation of that feud in the future or that a rematch for those individuals going forward, yeah. things of that nature. Um, yeah. In terms of watching the show, you know, this was really kind of in many ways, the pinnacle of Brad, Brad's career Mm. and Brad Armstrong was, you know, was an extremely talented individual and well-received and well-liked in the professional wrestling industry. And, you know, comes from a a fairly legendary family as well. And I think that he was being groomed for bigger things. I just think that when it came to taking it to the next level for the next of the bigger platforms, he, he just lacked a lot of the charisma perhaps. Mm. And going back, you know, to what I said earlier about, watching Tim Horner, when I saw Tim Horner, I naturally fast forwarded in their career to the point in time when this organization eventually becomes the UWF and Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong become a pairing um, known as the Lightning Express and they win the UWF tag team titles together. But this was a situation where we are clearly seeing the beginning of the ascent of Dr. Death Steve Williams. Yes. You know, up yeah. in, He's beginning, you know, it starts with those time limit draws and, and he's showing that he's a wrestler and he's not relying on this football helmet. And, you know, they're going to begin to prove that in terms of like the, the number of rest holds and things that he's got him in. Yes, definitely. Undoubtedly, there's it's surely stretched a lot into that. But I would say that one of the justifications for that is that's a wrestling hold and he's yeah. out wrestling, you know, he's out wrestling Brad Armstrong, the great yeah. North American champion. I think the thing, I think the, the, um, and I said this on the Houston show, actually, and I can't remember which match it was. I think this, the, and, and, and again, it, everything, all of this stuff is not, 
No one ever thought in 1984, or 85 as it is now, I'm going to put together a wrestling show so that some idiot from England can review it in 37 years' time. They're doing it for the time and place. I think some of the, the quote-unquote rest holds are slightly grating now because we know what MMA is and we know what holds are. And, you know, it's, it's just a bit... It's just like now it would be slightly different, wouldn't it be? You know, an arm bar or something. It looked it look different. And I think that's the thing that I'm just trying to have to kind of tune that out and realize this was this was this was that but then when you know that was a thing that you know always oh, in danger there his arms being worked on etc so that's that's the thing that i need to that's my little little foible that i need to need to get rid of but i think it's our also our conditioning as professional wrestling fans that um in professional wrestling now there is no such thing as downtime and it yes, seems yeah. to be a lost art of working a story such as unless they're really 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 going to tell that story you know like oh he's working his arm and that becomes the whole central point and then they make that the actual story the concept of a match where there's any moment of time where somebody's not leaping jumping kicking diving over the ropes it's entirely lost yes and so yeah. what we see in this match like there were extended periods of rest time and and working a hold but you know that speaks to the difference and distinction between professional wrestling in this era and yeah. the, the professional wrestling in that era. Yeah, so, most, most definitely. Yeah. I thought this was a good episode overall. I know we had differing opinions on the Hacksaw and Joel stuff, um, but I really like the DBOC promo and there's some good action elsewhere. So what are your final thoughts on the January 12th, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? It really took me back to um, fond memories of watching those shows at that mm. time. And it was, you know, even though, as I said, chronologically, I can't place off the top of my head where this show would fall in the chronology of when I started watching. It's definitely if, you know, it might be a couple years after I started watching yeah. because um, a, a number of the characters have already come and gone once or twice by then and things of that nature. But it's right before, in my opinion, what becomes begins this year of the show that uh 85 era is really when things start to really ramp up and become oh, okay, legendary yeah. iconic because I, so, I feel like i've kind of seen the first not first era because i know there was obviously stuff before this but the, yeah the midnight express are gone now and, and jim Cornette's gone and they're not back so i've seen some of these characters come through and they've gone elsewhere and the rock and roll express are around for a little bit longer but not too much longer and then it's it's the deviosis and the, and the roberts and the williams isn't it and the other people that are yet to be introduced so it's very exciting to come and i'm looking forward to i just hope i can find the episodes i'm really i'm already worried about these episodes not being because i know WWE network's not all the way to the end of this so i don't know what i'm gonna do in three years time when the uwf gets bought out i have to start back on another promotion then but I oh my gosh the 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 UWF though when it became the UWF is when I was absolutely at the height of mm. my love for it yeah you know by by the time it becomes the UWF you're starting to see um the introduction of characters or reintroduction of characters like the Freebirds and One yeah. Man Gang and um we will see at that time you know by that point in time Terry Taylor is well established as a superstar as is steve williams and there was just a lot of excitement that was happening in that in that time and i would be very inclined to um think that a lot of that excitement would remain if you watch it in retrospect yeah i would be very curious to see if 
what um, was so exciting as a kid did not hold up to the, to the annals of time. It's interesting because I watch, um, if I watch a Raw or something from 97, 98 particularly, there's a lot of stuff in that. I'm sure I loved as a you know 15 or 16-year-old South Park fan. But some of the, I mean, it, not only is it offensive, but it's also just not very funny, quite a lot of the stuff on those sort of shows. So I do wonder, though, I think that, that that stuff and if i watch a um you know wf show that i enjoyed from like 1990 or something i think that's probably more universally good so i think that the stuff that you probably remember probably would be you know still would still would have a lot of gems in there definitely it's very interesting i'll tell you to it's educational i would just say and eye-opening and informative to watch the shows that I'm watching now with my nephew, who I mentioned is 19 and really not jaded by professional wrestling has no realm of experience uh, or breadth or depth of experience. Like I do with it. He has nothing to compare it to right. Other than little snippets of this or that, that he might remember from, Oh, when the rock or stone cold or these names that were super like beyond the, the the highest realms Hmm. of superstardom and professional wrestling. And when I watch with him, Things that mean or mean nothing to me or don't interest me at all, he really is attaching to. And it's one of the reasons why I have found it so um, refreshing in a way and eye-opening in another to watch things with him because what I notice happening more often is it does happen more often with the AEW product where he like things that drive me crazy that the orange Cassidy character, which I do not like oh, at really? all. Yeah. He thinks yeah. it's really cool. Um, like, you know, a lot of the characters that just great on my nerves, he really likes uh, prime, you know, like I think about the uh, street profits yep. and, you know, they, they, I, I find them very disinteresting. Uh, I think they're great in the ring. I think that they're exciting to watch in the ring, but I do, I don't want their outside presence. And I don't, I feel like they're underutilized as tag team champions, but he really sent, he likes them. And, you know, there's a lot of things that younger audiences that seem to be appealing to him as a younger person than, than would ever appeal to me. So it's, it's been really great to watch that. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, Oh, this makes me feel fun to me because I'm seeing it through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, and it's good that 19, because I know it sounds ridiculous, but we need this. If we're still going to be watching wrestling into our, you know, 60s and 70s, we need some youngsters to start bloody watching it. Otherwise, it's not going to be there quite the same way because these television networks will, 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 will catch along to the, to the fact that Raw is, you know, plummeting in ratings year after year after year. And unless there's, you know, some serious change there, it's probably going to continue. I'm sure they'll have a, a bit of an uptick when crowds are back because because i think everything will do but yeah it's lovely to hear that that some you know someone of that age is you know into it and like a kind of pure fan without like you know all the jaded and the, all the disappointments mm-hmm. of things that we've had in, had, had in the past certainly he you know it's fun to watch with him because there we were watching the other night and i thought that he had either dozed off or wasn't paying attention because he had a phone in his hand mm. or maybe his laptop in front of him or something and then all of a sudden he erupted like whoa because you know somebody had landed a big move or something in the match and oh that looked like it really hurt or no way you know and it he responds in a way first of all that i haven't in years yeah and so second lovely, of yeah. all it's um it's fun to get to see somebody enjoy professional wrestling. I, you know, it's, yeah. 
I think that we're unique as fans of professional wrestling because as much as we do profess to like it, we live to watch it and tear it down too. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's true. It's, it's true. It, we're we're it the worst critics. To, yeah. You know, yeah. that it doesn't live up to that standard or that era or this person just wishes they could be like that person and it just deflates all the fun from it. Yeah. Um, is that, that's so, what, and I think that's what's so good about going to see live wrestling because I think that when you're there live, when you're at home and you know in front of the television, you still you can still have magic moments watching that 100. percent We all have, but there's something very different about live. You for, you for, you believe a bit more. Someone's booing your the guy that you want to win or girl you want to win, and you're cheering them, and it's you get the crowd stuff, and it's just I can't wait. I cannot wait to be back at live wrestling. Thank you so much for doing the show. Where can people find your um, your work online? Um, you know, they can follow me on Twitter at ADT with PDM. That's my podcast-related one, and that's exclusively professional wrestling content. You can also follow me at Pollo Del Mar Fans on Instagram, and that will give you sort of links to all different places. So P-O-L-L-O-D-E-L-M-A-R-F-A-N-S on Instagram. So it's been a pleasure to be joining you. Yeah, let's hope we can do it again in the future. Thank you very much. I hope so too. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button, follow on Spotify, or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter, and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.